Around Comics, Episode 5. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. Would you like to swing? It's so big. We're police officers, ma'am. Don't use me while I whip this out. You, you stupid cop, monkey, licking That's right, folks. We're talking about adult themes and words and pictures in comics this week. Hi, this is Sal. Uh, welcome to another episode of Around Comics. Chris is off this week. He's on vacation, so I'm hosting the show. Uh, hopefully, things will go okay. Um, on uh, on the show today is uh, Tom Caters. Tom, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fucking awesome. <laughs> and Matt <laughs> Sumner. <laughs> how are you, Matt? Uh, fucking off the charts. No, it's, actually, it's it's... It's summer, though. Summer. Like, I'm sorry. I, it's I never, okay. I never know how to pronounce your last name. I'm terrible <laughs> with names, as I'm sure everyone knows from my news cast. I can never seem to pronounce. I get so many no names, problem, all no these problem. artists and stuff. So Okay, so. Man, that intro is awesome, by the way. <laughs> Just a little something to put in there. <laughs> all right, so we're talking about adult, uh, adult situations, adult themes, dirty words, pictures, whatever else in comics. Basically... Let's start out with uh, cursing, swearing, adult language in comics. Does it have a place in comics? Is it overused in comics today? Is it a crutch? Um, or is it okay? I mean, what do you guys think? Uh, you know, Tom, let's start with you. What, what do you think about, and specifically in the mainstream books, um, how writers are using adult language? Because we've seen quite a bit of change in the last... 10 years I would say where there's so much more uh, so much more swearing and curse words and, and that kind of thing in comics what are your feelings on it? Uh, in the mainstream type stuff uh, I feel a lot like it's it's fine swearing I, I think it's not necessarily an issue that we need to protect kids from it because when I, when I, when I was a kid I knew all the swear words before you know, I ever could recognize them, really re reading them. So it's not that issue. Uh, bothers me sometimes in the quality of writing. Uh, you get a lot of um, you know comments that swearing makes dialogue more realistic, which is strikes me as kind of funny because if you ever read what's supposed to be realistic dialogue out loud, it sounds really funny to have someone swear as much. You know, as it sometimes happens in these books, like people don't really talk like that. So if your goal is realism, swearing might not be the way for you to go to communicate that sense. Uh, if you're going for like a very over-the-top type thing, then yeah, swear all you want. You know, mother, father, Chinese dentist. You know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do agree with that to some degree. I mean, I, I think that you know, I know I swear a lot. Um, I, not as much as I used to because I now have kids, so I, I try and keep it to you know a minimum. But you know, I think there is a certain amount of realism to it. I think people do talk that way and they use that in certain situations. But I do also see a lot of comics where it seems like writers are putting it in there almost to 
you know, to make their book edgier or, or cooler or something, or, or like, especially if they're writing more, you know, of a, a teenage title or something, it seems like there's, a, you know, a lot of times you'll see that kind of thing where there's, you know, just <clears throat> curse word after curse word after curse word, and it doesn't really, you know, add to the plot, it doesn't really, you know, add to the characters in any way. You know, I think it's a fine line. You know, what about you, Matt? What What do you feel about it? Well, swearing in comics, especially in mainstream comics, is it's sort of like um, I remember I hear this like uh, with movies. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times movies they don't want to be rated PG. You know, they want to be rated PG thirteen or rated R because people think it's cool or it's you know it's better that it's more adult, and so they'll just throw in swear words just to get it rated higher. Um, you know, a lot of times, I'll say again, you know, obviously all of us swear in certain situations. Um, there's, you know, there's times when you swear when you're with your friends, when you're by yourself. There's times when you obviously, when you're working or when you're in public, that you really don't swear. Um, there's times, you know, I, God, man, I work in a high school, as you guys know, and I, I hear swearing from 7.30 in the morning until basically 3.30 in the afternoon all day and I guess I'm kind of sick of it I guess to me you know it's one of those things like when you're a kid it's something that you get away with it's like a little naughty thing that you can do that kind of makes you feel more adult um, but you know I think a lot of times again when we have these books especially like the you know like the Marvel Max line or whatever these other books um, they need to justify that you know they're gonna be adult you know let's the f I mean you guys remember the first word of the first issue of Alias uh, Anybody? I don't, I don't remember it off the top. Oh, oh. Um. it was yeah, some guy yelling "fuck," <laughs> <laughs> just that by itself. And then for about three pages, it's like you know, "fuck this," "fucking bitch," blah 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 blah. You know, and you know, it set the tone. It set the tone for what that book was trying to do, and I think that's okay. Um, you know, obviously, there's nothing wrong with uh, with doing it per se. I think it just matters. Um, what you do, because I think a lot of times, you know, guys back when they're under restrictions had to maybe be a little more, uh, a little more clever to express themselves than just, you know, throw out the curse word, but that's just me. Well, do you think, I mean, you know, I, personally, I think that there's certainly times where it, it helps a story. I mean, depending on what the story is or what the context of the world is and what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, if you look at something like... In the movies, if you looked at a movie like Fight Club, which is one of my favorites, and took out all you know all the swearing that's in that movie, it would take away from that film. I mean, the the situations that they're putting the characters in, and the way the characters are reacting to it, you know, it was it was almost necessary. But at the same time, I think writers sort of lean on it now sometimes, or you know, they've seen it. They've seen someone else get away with this, or push the envelope here, or there, or do something, and and it's almost like, oh, I have to do this now. I have to, you know, I have to be edgy. I have to, you know, I have to make sure I have the, you know, X number of of curse words or whatever in a in a book, and that's where it seems to get a little ridiculous. Where you know they don't, they're they're not doing it because it's, you know, enhancing the 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 book in any way, other than just to sort of do it. Well. And I've done stuff on stage with like a comedy writing and stuff like that. And one of the things you realize really quickly is if you want to get a really cheap reaction out of people, 
you can walk on stage and swear and someone in the crowd will laugh <laughs> no matter what the context of it is lowest it common matter. denominator you're yeah you will yeah. always get someone to laugh it doesn't mean that you would never ever do anything where someone would swear and make that doesn't make it automatically cheap but it doesn't make it automatically you know valid either i mean these mm-hmm. words curse words have no real power in them besides what we give it you know to those words so in and of themselves they're not bad but they can show a weakness in writing skills or exposition to say you know to do the equivalent of walk on in the first panel and swear to get a reaction to some people you know would feel cheap to do that mm-hmm. i'm not saying that's what happened in alias you know but it just as an example no i mean obviously marvel did. was uh, they were starting out uh, an adult line and they wanted to set an adult tone and you know that is part of that is part of literature you know adult books whatever adult tv shows you have adult language and i you know i'm i'm totally fine with that in the right place at the right time um Sometimes I wonder though if it really is the right place at the right time. I mean, if you can, if you can just totally take out all the swearing from a story and it's it loses nothing, then it's you know pretty much just gratuitous. I don't know if there's actually a scene where, I mean, uh, if it's necessary, it's necessary. If it's not necessary, you know, most adults, most people in the real world don't really swear just for you know, no reason, I guess. Right. Well, unless you're with your friends and drunk and whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about you know adult themes. You know, not so much language. And what kind of brought this idea up was I was reading. I just reread the uh, the Ultimates uh, season one, the hardcover I got in, and I just reread it. And there's a lot of adult themes in that book. Not necessarily swearing or new. You know, there's no nudity or anything like that. But there are a lot of very adult situations, adult themes. Whether it's um, you know Hank and, and Janet and a, a, you know a situation, a spousal abuse situation, or just the violence that's in that book. It's you know almost hyper violence and and reveling in it. Um, and you know even ridiculous things. There's you know there's some very ridiculous things by you know the Hulk in that in that storyline where they are very perverse themes or perverse things that are going on in that book but at the same time i mean that is a book specifically written for adults um i don't know you know to look at it if you were to take out some of that stuff you know i don't know but is it something that once again writers are using for effect more so than good story craft um you know are they leaning on it too much uh, and is it something that should be explored in a mainstream book about basically the Avengers, um, or in any mainstream you know character? Do, do you know do, do distributors? Do, I mean, do the publishers have more of a responsibility with these characters because we've grown up with them and because they've been around so long? And on the, you know, the next thing you see is you know Captain America, you know, doing some ridiculous thing in a in a, in a book. Obviously, it's a you know it's a separate. Captain America, it's not your main, but to the average person, you know, are they going to make that distinction? I think that's how they can get away with it, though, right? Is that it's it's set in that alternate reality. It's the you know, it's not the real guys. It's the ultimate guys, and and you know, we've been talking about this many times before. But let's you know, uh, let's face it: the adult 
uh, I mean, the percentage of adults buying comics is just so so greater than the actual number of kids that are buying comics today. Um, and you know, yeah, it's something like seventy percent or something. I think, or you know, seventy. I mean, we. We, uh, and when you're, you know, you're 25, you're, you know, 30, whatever, you, you know, the, um, you just can't enjoy the same old, you know, good work, old chum kind of stuff, unless you're appreciating it, appreciating it ironically, you know, you, it's, it's natural, I think, that we want to explore this kind of stuff. But I think it's also sort of a fallacy to think that these companies will protect us from anything. If making every Spider-Man book into a snuff film would sell five million copies, they'd try and find some way to do it. You know, so I feel like stuff like as books like The Ultimate Salmore, Salmore, and as people see that that type of thing becomes more popular, other books will go there. But I don't. Th- I think these companies are reactionary. You know, they see something that works and they'll do it. If they see something fails, like if no one bought Ultimates, they wouldn't sit there and go, well, we should probably make books more adult. You know, it's, I don't think there's this huge consciousness within those companies thinking about these things that way. They well, that's, that, well that's a really good point. I mean, it means that we as the buyers are really determining what they're putting out there. With, you know, I mean, if it was something that we weren't pur- purchasing, they obviously wouldn't be publishing it. So. You know, are they any more responsible than we are to try and uphold some standard? I, I can't say that they should be. I mean, I don't see how you can expect them to, and especially in in the times that we're, you know, when you you know you look at network television and what they do now, comparatively, and and you know, movies obviously have you know gone way over the top, but you know, the the culture that we're living in now has moved so much further in you know in the last 40 years towards accepting uh you know whether it's you know extreme violence or you know gratuitous sex or you know whatever it is we seem to as a culture you know gravitate toward that as much as we try and pretend that we don't well we're i mean (laughs) we're basically you know we we do like to we like that stuff we like sex we like swearing we like adult things and and you know that appeals obviously to an older crowd, and it even appeals to the younger crowd. You know, kids want to have that little glimpse of the uh, R-rated, you know, entertainment that their parents see. So I, you know, I think it's just natural. It's a natural progression as comic buyers are getting older, and DC and Marvel. I mean, really, they must just—they must have totally at this point. I think they're—they're they're just abandoning the idea of having teen or like ten-year-old readers anymore because. You know they're in for it, and they're saying, you know, "We got thirty-year-old readers. We're going to give them, you know, arms ripped off, heads blown up. We're going to give them everything that they that they're asking for." So I don't know. I think I, I you know, I think that it is our fault that we. This is what we're looking for. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that it's always a bad thing that's going on. The only time I really have a problem with it is if I read a story that has a tremendous amount of violence or. And I read it and I just sit there. And if you read a story and at any point you look at it and go, why is this going on? You're probably not reading the best told story you possibly could. I mean, the same way as if I was reading a book and nothing is happening. And I would sit there and go, why am I reading this? It's the illusion that these things create like excitement in a book. 
I mean, it's just a very fleeting sense of titillation, you know? Like, people will get bored of that at some level, too. And it's just, a lot of times, weak storytelling to me. Well, it's just like, you know, all these... I mean, look at all these slasher movies that come out every week. I, you know, I personally, I can't believe anybody watches this junk, but obviously that appeals, that, that violence, that sense of whatever, you know, appeals to certain demographic groups, so... Somebody out there is buying it. Somebody's enjoying it. Uh, maybe it's just for that cheap thrill. I don't know. I don't well, think it's a market for everything. <laughs> well, know? I think I think there's definitely. I mean, there is sort of that lowest common denominator. I mean, look at you know monster truck rallies or you know you know professional wrestling to some degree, which I enjoy from a purely uh, you know dram- over dramatic sense of entertainment. Um, you don't need to defend yourself. Well, no, I, it's, I, it's, <laughs> I guess he does. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, at this point in my life, I do. But I enjoy monster truck rallies. Um, <laughs> well, I, it's just interesting that you know, whenever we talk about this kind of thing, you know, you, you never seem to be able to find somebody that is just you know completely you know unafraid to say, yeah, this I you know I I watch the worst movies out there and and listen to the most popular music you know pop you know it, it everyone seems to take some high road but you know at the same time britney spears sells you know however billion many of albums a, a year somebody's buying it you know it's just it's just kind of funny that we never seem to be able to find those people yeah. when when you're talking well, there's, well th- there's the difference between the sort of the white noise in our culture the stuff that goes on in the background like slasher films and Britney Spears and all these things are sort of this ubiquitous atmosphere that we live in and then the stuff that people latch onto as having meaning to them I think is where that difference comes mm-hmm. in like I've heard so many Britney Spears songs I don't like Britney Spears but I've probably heard it way more if you told me the total amount of time I've spent like just in malls or whatever hearing a Britney Spears song I'd probably be shocked <laughs> there's you know there's stuff that you latch onto that you know has more meaning you to can't you. hide from it you know yeah. but then you're trying to find that one thing that you can defend and, and feel confident about you know, enjoying. Aroundcomics.com, your source for discussion, news, and reviews about your favorite comics and creators. New podcasts available every Monday. Go to www.aroundcomics.com. Well, let me ask you this, because I know, Sal, you're the only one of us that has any kids that has uh, that kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know no. one of the reasons why violence in comics bothers me is simply for the fact that in my mind I look at this and say, you know, there's something wrong with our hobby when a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, whatever kid, you know, you can't pick up Batman because there's some guy getting a knife to the eye. Or you can't get, you know, um, Spider-Man because he ate some guy's face off and, and, you know, he's naked in bed with his wife and stuff. I mean, is that... I don't know, maybe I'm just like, you know, an old guy weeping for the days of yore when things were wholesome and wonderful and and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, do, you, do you think about that at all when you're thinking about your kids? I mean, do they read comics? Not at this point. Um, they're too young. My, my you know, my daughter's uh, going to be four and my son's only about six months old. So, th- you know, they're they're too young really to read comics. She's, she, I have taken her, my daughter, to the comic book store a couple of times and picked out, you know, some, some little kid comics that are out there. Um, and she enjoyed them. I mean, she, you know, she loved Mickey Mouse and I think we picked up, um, 
some po- you know like a powder puff girl comic book that they had out there and she loved them uh now as she gets a little bit older and you know if she is interested or if my son later on is interested in it it is going to be an, you know a strange thing for me because i'm you know i'm sort of liberal minded when it comes to that and and i've always you know before i had kids i always thought about oh you know it's it's not something that's going to rot their minds. It's not going to affect them. It's not, you know, I mean, you can play any video game for, you know, 70 hours a week and, you know, no matter how violent it is, and it isn't going to turn you into a violent person. But then I had kids and my perspective certainly did change. And now I look at how everything around her and him affects them and how, you know, at this point in their life, everything that they come in contact with it does, you know, mold their perceptions of the world, and you know, I don't, I don't know, I, you know, I, there's no conclusive data on whether or not if you watch violent movies and play violent video games or you know read violent comic books, if that turns you into a violent person. But I mean, I think both, you know, all, I think all of us can agree that you know there is such a thing as as a, a cycle of violence, and and you know, kids that are brought up in a violent world tend to be very violent people. Now, whether that's abusive, you know, if, if a child's being abused and then they grow up to do the same thing or be abusive to other people, I mean, we see that every day. So I think there is some correlation to how much violence you take in, um, you know, as a child and how much you're going to put out later in life. But at the same time, I, I think we have to be realistic about it, and, and I can't, I can't, I'm not going to be able to keep my kids in a bubble. I'm not going to be able to shield them from everything in the world, you know, they can't grow up that way and they can't learn anything that way either so it, it it's a juggling act to me uh, you know it, it really is you have to pay attention to it but i don't think you can you know because I, i'm sure we all had friends where they had parents that were way too overprotective my parents were very you know protective of me and it just made me want to go out and find that stuff that they didn't want me to have that much more um yeah whereas you saw you know you know if you had friends that their parents seem to let them do whatever or see whatever or be involved in whatever it was like they didn't even you know it got to the point where they didn't even care you know it was boring to them it wasn't that same excitement of you know taboo where i was like you know hey i, I want to get my hands on something because i can't or i'm not supposed to you know so it's i don't know i mean i don't i certainly don't have the answers for it i do look at it in you know from the perspective of when i was a kid reading comics I would give my kids any of that today. Exactly. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I think you could walk into a comic book store and, or store and pick up any title, and you were safe with it. Now, when my kids are you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old, and go into a comic book store, I'm going to have to be very careful about what they pick up. So there is certainly that that factor of it, and it does worry me. You know, in in a couple of ways. You know, not only about my kids, but just the industry as a whole because. If that's you know the case, it, you know you're not you know and, and this has been talked over you know over and over again. You're you're not going to have those kids growing up reading comics because there's just not as much out there that they're going to be able to get their hands on. Well, Tom, what do you think about this idea? I mean, are we doing? Is the industry doing enough? I mean, are there things out there that are going to appeal to young kids aside from just like Cartoon Network, like um, Rugrats kind of stuff? I mean, what do you think about that? I think it it works in two ways. I think kids nowadays 
have so much more media that they can look to for you know to get entertainment that when I think about when I was a kid compared to now like would I have ever picked up a comic book I have no idea because I you know there is just so much there's so much more now around for kids um, the other thing that I've been thinking about is um, I just read an interview with uh, Steve Gerber the guy that did Howard the Duck uh, from like 1978 where he was talking about violence in the media and he brought up this point about he did an issue where Howard gets the crap beat out of him by like a bunch of kids playing kung fu I mean I haven't read the issue but from the description he gave that was it and his whole point was that there is violence in the world like you can never you're never going to be able to protect everyone from images of violence because humanity is a violent you know we live in a world of violence we've always have and we always will his only problem was is when people showed violence out of context of what it really is like taking it out of the realm of what the real consequences of violence were you know uh, sort of like a celebration of like beating the crap out of somebody else instead of making it like showing really how horrible it is making it seem cool to him that was much worse and when I read that I thought about it I'm like yeah you know is it really wrong for someone to look at you know a really violent thing and get freaked out by it well no because that's the natural reaction you're supposed to have where it's dangerous is when you're presenting it as something cool or like fun. Well, so, I mean, you think it's worse? Let's talk about because you know, think about uh, like classic stuff that we grew up with. Okay, reading Spider-Man in, in the '60s through the '80s. Um, you know, people got clobbered, people get beat up. Uh, you know, villains are are knocked unconscious. But I mean, we never saw people. You know bleeding or getting their limbs torn yeah. off or anything but, like yeah, that. I don't think that's that his works. point. I think his point is, is more gratuitous where, you know, you have a character that's going around and just, you know, enjoying it with no consequences of, you know, seriously harming or maiming or, you know, killing people. Not in a cartoony sense. I mean, we all grew up with, you know, cartoons, Bugs Bunny yeah. and, you know, and, and, and Roadrunner and, and, and Wile E. Coyote, and nobody ever got hurt. And I think that's okay too. I think, but I think what Tom was saying is that, you know, it's when you have a character that is going out there and killing all these people, or, or and enjoying it, and not showing any of the harm that's really being done either to him or his victims, and you know, not yeah. not, um, not the physical harm, but you know, more the the emotional. It's, it's also, I think, kind of odd that whenever this debate comes up, the, the Looney Tunes stuff always comes up, which is really funny, because when I was, a, you know, are kids really becoming that stupid, you know, <laughs> that they can't tell the difference between, you know, sometimes I think we don't give kids enough credit. No, I agree with like, that. Like, the ability to differentiate between, like, we, I mean, I don't have kids, but I can imagine your instinct is to protect them, but from an objective viewpoint, you know, a pretty intelligent, well-raised kid can probably watch something that you might think, oh, you know, you're a little on the edge about whether it's too violent. And they can probably, you know, look at it and judge it for whatever basis. Like, when I was a you know, I saw violent stuff when I was a kid. I saw Red Dawn when I was a kid. 
Did you guys ever Wolverine. see that movie? <laughs> yeah, it's like the most violent movie of all time. No, no, my I got... dad loved it. It made he let me watch it when I was like seven, and it freaked me out. But like, I don't. It never. I don't think it ever did any damage to me because I saw it. And you know, like when my I parents w- did a pretty good job of like, I, you know, I'm pretty. In, I thought I was a pretty intelligent kid. I could tell the difference. And like, so 19... sometimes I think we overdo it. When I was like eight or nine years old, <clears throat> we went to the drive-in, me and my parents, and uh, we were going to see Cannonball Run. You know, good, <laughs> funny, you know, way, I, you know. Well, so we go and see Cannonball Run, and, you know, I loved it as a kid and everything. And and, uh, and the double feature after Cannonball Run was Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Whoa! And we watched, like, the first 20 minutes of Apocalypse Now, and I had no idea. I mean, I didn't even understand it. It was just super violent and dark, and and then we left. You know, it was like, you know, but, I mean, who's thinking of putting that together, that double feature, Cannibal Run and Apocalypse Now? But like you said, I mean, I, I knew it was just a movie. I mean, I was, you know, like I said, I was eight or nine years old, but I, I knew it was just a movie. It wasn't going to scar me for life, although I didn't watch that movie again until I was probably 25. <laughs> But you know, my, good idea. I think more damage, well, Burt Reynolds. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's I true. Think... Dom DeLuise is, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, Captain <laughs> whatever. Of course, light. You know, let me, me well, let me throw this out there, guys, because I don't, I don't think that any of us believes that this stuff is maybe going to warp a kid's mind. But I mean, should we, should we just throw the game? I mean, should we just admit that? comics are no longer for kids anymore and, and move on oh, I don't know I mean I, I I agree that they're not I mean they're certainly not being published for kids and the, you know the majority of the stuff out there is not something I think would be suitable for you know a 10 or 11 year old uh, you know a, a high school kid or something that's one thing but um, yeah but a little kid, I, yeah, I, I just don't think that it's it's really good for someone like that to, to be involved in, in situations and, and things that are in comics nowadays. But I hate to just give up on it because, you know, because that's the way that it's moving, only, only because I, I just think it's going to hurt the industry in the long run. So, I mean, you know, at some point I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to die and I'm not going to be spending, you know, however many dollars a week on comics. And, and all the people that are my age, the same thing's going to happen. So I just don't think if I, like like you were saying, Tom, I started reading comics when I was 12. And that's why I read them today. If I didn't start reading until I was, you know, 25, I don't know that I'd have any interest in them. I don't know if I would have been hooked into them and, you know, and, and would, would have read them for the next 25 years of my life. Well, I also think there's a, a weird thing going on that, you know, way back in the day, like in the, you know, in the 40s and the golden age of comics, when comics sold millions and millions of copies, adults read them back then, too. Mm-hmm. And at some point between the 40s and as we get up to this point, there is a flux where all of a sudden comics weren't for adults for a while but then some adults read it and it's always a sense of tension within it I think of where you know adult sensibilities lie and where comics lie you know they're meant like kids buy them but it isn't a new thing that adults are reading them you know well and you look over in you know you know Japan and Europe I mean that's you know they they have 
segments of their comics that you know are for kids, and then they have segments oh. of the comics that are for adults. And there's you know the tons of adults that are reading comics, but they also have kids doing it, and they write specific. They write you know. I, I can't think of what it's called. I'm not that big on on, on the the manga stuff, but I mean they have oh, a whole let me, section. Ask me, man. Ask me. Oh well, what, I mean they have like a whole entire. You know, if, if it's written for a kid, this is what it's called. I can't think of the word. Right. Well, there's uh, not to go into this a whole a whole bunch because I think maybe down the line we're going to do a little manga episode or something. But, right. Um, but yeah, I mean I know what you're talking about is exactly. You know, there's different books. There's magazines that are aimed at. 10 year olds there's magazines that are aimed at teenagers you know like the shonen jump is aimed at boys and shoujo manga is aimed at young teen preteen girls and there's mangas for adults there's manga for you know mothers there's... but that's what's kind of weird about the whole argument is the fact that we've taken this genre we've taken like this superhero genre that if you think about it i mean it's 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 basically you know it's an adolescent kind of power fantasy genre but we've taken it and we've adultified it sort of because we don't really have any other mainstream comics that are really aimed at adults right in this you country. have the independent titles that you see stuff come out that's specifically for adults but exactly. it's such a small section of it you don't see marvel and dc doing anything other than what they've been doing for you know for the last 40 years of writing you know the same characters and just trying to you know make them for the same people that were buying them then you know, just changing along the same lines. You know, they're, you know, they've gotten older, so we're going to write, you know, for them. We're not going to, you know, have the vision to sort of spread that out in any way. And I mean, you still see some kid stuff being done by both companies. I mean, they they are doing some. You know, they, they you have uh, Superman Adventure or Batman Adventures, and you have Teen Titans Go, and you have um, I can't think of the name of the Spider-Man title and and for teenagers I mean there you know there's Runaways is I think a good book for teenagers and Ariana is another one that's or Arana is another one that's geared towards teenagers that kind of thing. So I think you see some of it but it's like you know they're not going to give up on the golden goose to try and you know change the in, you know the industry to 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 take a chance. And and you can't really blame them for that but at some point that's going to you know going to be a problem, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious right now that all the emerging young readers, uh, I mean, they're they're not touching superhero comics at all. They're all on the manga train right now, and that's kind of amazing that that growth has happened. I mean, what what is what what where did the U.S. comic industry go wrong that they lost all these kids? Because obviously, these kids like and want comics. So, I mean, well, what happened? We're delusional. <laughs> But, like, uh, it's, uh, we like to imagine that comics are, you know, written for adults, but they're not really written for adults. They're written for adults that used to read comics mm -hmm. when they were kids. You know, there's a difference in there somewhere. And I think it's a matter of perspective that a lot of people can't see it. Like, it's, a, it's hard to think about once you've read comics for, like, 13 years to think about when you didn't read comics. And like, really look at something fresh. That's a good point because you, you. I mean, I've I've changed what I've read so much in the last, you know, ten years probably. But before that, I mean, I never even picked up anything if it wasn't from Marvel or DC. I mean, I if it wasn't a superhero comic, 
I never read it. I didn't. I didn't get into any kind of independent stuff. I didn't get into anything, you know, beyond that. And now I have so much more. But you know, we. It was just sort of that's what comics were to me. And I didn't, you know, even as a comic fan, I just didn't realize that there was so much more out there. Now later on, you know, I I did figure it out and and you know have have broadened my reading quite a bit, but. I think the industry, you know, DC and Marvel are set with what they're doing and they're happy enough with the money they're making on their properties. I mean, they're always going to publish, you know, a Spider-Man book. They're always going to publish, a, you know, a Batman and a Superman. And, and that's always going to be there because they they will continue to sell it, you know, on that name to a certain degree. It's, in, you know, until they, it comes to a point where they're, they have to make a change and they're or they're not going to survive. Man, I'm just I'm waiting for that. You know, when when the comic readers right now, those thirty year old guys getting like their forties and their fifties, are we going to have you know Peter <laughs> Parker and his amazing prostate or <laughs> kind of stuff? Well, I, I mean, can't... yeah, I mean, what do you, what what's going to happen when we're you know we're all senior citizens and and there isn't this re prescription drug <laughs> you know prescription drug crisis. <laughs> Listen to AroundComics.com podcast, new, every Monday. For once, you won't be lying to your parents when you tell them you're not looking at porn. All right, all right. Well, we've, we've gone off, off the beaten path here a little bit. Let's, let's, uh, let's move on to the next topic, which is um, artwork, and specifically the way artists draw female characters in comics, in mainstream comics. Um, you know, obviously the... the comic book industry is labeled very misogynistic it's it's written for man and you know for like you said those adolescent power trip and fantasy and you see a lot of female most female characters are ridiculously proportioned scantily clad um you know and it, it makes no sense but is it something that is harmful to the industry is it harmful to comics to have that in there or is it just you know is it clean fun is it well i guess it couldn't be called clean fun but is it is it just fun is it just clean away. is it harmful i mean obviously <laughs> once again comics are written for men because they're the largest you know group of readers you know the women readers are are few and far between um comparatively so is that something that you know, publishers should change. Well, we always oh. get into this argument. I mean, as comics fans, don't we always get this? Um, uh, you know, every couple of months, it's like, well, men, you know, men are drawn just ridiculously out of proportion as women, and and this and that. But I think I, you know, I don't see how any of us can disagree that that women in comics aren't you know objectified. And one of the things that I just recently saw and heard of was. Um, Someone had mentioned that in uh, New Avengers, I think issue fourteen or something, where their uh, Jessica Drew, you know, Spider Woman, was getting operated on by Hydra, and someone, you know, the artist had drawn in um, that she was getting breast implants or something. <laughs> yeah. On the side of the panel, I was just thinking to myself, God, you know, what does that say to a comic reader that you know maybe a female comic reader? I mean, what? What is the purpose of that, except for, you know, beg pardon the pun, but titillation? You know, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, 
I think that was just more of a joke playing on the fact that she's been portrayed that way for it. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's some ridiculous thing, but I mean, come on, you know, it, it, it just seems a little unnecessary, and it's definitely not, not a welcoming kind of thing, that if you were picking up that book and, and looking at that panel, I don't know if that's, you know, something that you'd want your editorial staff to let through. I don't know, I mean, you know, I have a different perspective on the whole thing. I, I, uh, I think we we're just so conditioned to automatically, you know, be offended by, uh, you know, something that's drawn specifically to be attractive, especially you know, if a female character is drawn specifically to be attractive, or you know, hyper attractive or hypersexual or whatever, you know, it's like we're we're we've been conditioned by our society, you know, so much to, you know, push that away. Um, I, I don't know why we have to automatically associate, you know, and I think it's harmful to automatically associate attractiveness with you know uselessness i mean obviously power you know power girl comes up all the time in her outfit and you know and yeah it's ridiculous even though they've they've you know jeff johns have tried to tried to write in some sort of you know meaning to it but does that mean that character is automatically you know useless just because she's looks the way she does um well i don't know i to me, that seems almost well, more harmful that you're you're putting that stereotype on on a character. I mean, let's face it: how many breast implants are done every year in this country? How many? Well, you know, I work in the fitness industry, and it, it's the most self-absorbed. I mean, so many people are trying to make themselves look better, and I'm not saying it's a well, good thing, but it's a fact that that you know, so much of our culture is about what you look like. Well, I'm not going to argue with you on that because, you know, obviously, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody that complains about this, these portrayals, you know, I don't think they complain about it because they're offended. I just, I mean, my point of view is just kind of, you know, is this really necessary or is it cheesecake? And is that wrong if you're just, you know, let's, I, you know, I don't know if any of you guys read the uh, Frank Cho's uh, Sheena take no i never i, I saw it I, I didn't read it that was i mean you know, i don't know how any red-blooded american male can can not look at that and, and and feel a little tingly but you know i think that has its place it has its place um but you know again i mean we've basically i you know as far as getting young girls into reading comics and you know I, you know I, I think we've given up the ghost on that i don't think that's you know, again, they're they're all going towards buying mangas, so I don't I don't know. You know, we're just you know we're guys, and maybe they should just go with pleasing the guys that are buying the books. It's not to me. It's not an issue of attractiveness that bothers me about it, because I mean, in TV and movies, everything you there's attractive people everywhere on TV. You know, when I look in the mirror, I see an attractive person, so I'm used to. <laughs> I'm used to being inundated with it constantly. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. Yeah, but I don't think it's so much attract. Well, but maybe not attractiveness, but sexiness, or you know, yeah. a sexual, you know, uh, look. But, um, and the same thing, though. I mean, everywhere you look, television, movies, you know, every, you know, the covers of romance novels. I mean, you know, look at that artwork by comparison. The difference in a comic book, you have. People say you have the idealized male figure and idealized female figure right next to each other. And they want to equate those two things. 
The difference, though, is the idealized male body is a representation of power, while the idealized female body oftentimes is what men want to see. So when you look at it in that context, you can see why someone, a woman reading a comic book might look and say, well, a female hero, it's not necessarily that they're useless, but that their representation is of, you know... Yeah, but isn't isn't the, 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 you know, the representation of power by a male character, isn't that what women would want to see anyway? I mean, isn't that what women would be attracted to on some level? Well... As much as men would be attracted... I mean, obviously, I don't know that women and men see things in the same way or are attracted to the same things, you know, in each you gotta other. you got to put it in context also of... Women, it's not a vacuum. Women aren't going into comic shops without any preconceived notions and picking up a book and saying, oh, God, this is... Suck. They already have this in their mind when they go into it. You know, the comic books are written for men. I mean, it's, it's, that's why it's so complicated. Because mm-hmm. no one ever picks up these things without some idea in their head already of what they're going to do. You know, of like, Well, do you, guys, do you guys think, I mean, should there be more, or be more female creators working in the industry to kind of balance out that kind of thing right now? Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> well, yeah, but this, it goes to, I mean, it's sort of like, well, what do you, you know, what do you do? I mean, there just aren't. I mean, should you just be giving jobs to female creators because they're female, as opposed to they're good at what they do? I, I mean, that's you know, that's a hard. Well, maybe you should. I don't know. I Comics. mean, maybe you should. I don't know. I, I mean, oh, I, I guess there's there's club. plenty of, of bad writers and bad artists out there that you could replace with a you know another one that that is happens to be female. But I, are there that many female creators out there that you could even you know? It's not like I, are there that many What's, out there that aren't working in the industry? It's an issue. Well, let's of, take a look at go ahead, well, like it, Marvel. Let's look at Marvel. I mean, look at all these people that they've hired from outside of the comic industry to write their books. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. They're, they're all again. They're all they're all men that are writing those, and they could pick any female TV writer, novelist, ah, somebody to come in. As you'll find out in the news today, that they just <laughs> did sign an exclusive to a female author. Um, ah, who, you got me. Yeah. Well, no, but you're right. You're you're all right. I mean. It, yeah, I mean it's a male-dominated world. Uh, you know, I think in any industry, you know, why aren't there more female head NFL coaches? <laughs> you know, I mean it's well, it's just the industry that it is. I mean it, you know. But to well, walk I think away and say that it'll never get better isn't necessarily a you know a great way of going about it either because it's it's comics are an old boys club as bad as anything else. You know, like how can you know, I'm not going to start listing off writers, but everyone has a writer that they think, how the hell is this guy still getting books after, you know, X number of years? It's because, you know, they know somebody who knows somebody. I mean, it's not an easy answer. There's no, like, stormtroopers aren't going to start rushing Marvel and DC and, you know, putting, you know, Judy Bloom in charge of writing Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, like, but it, it's Tales of like, a fourth grade Spider-Man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Dear God, it's me, Spider-Man. You know, it's... it's, <laughs> it's, But it's also something that I think needs to be, you know, kept in mind, you know. No, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think my only contention with it is that I don't... I, going back to the physical form and, and the, you know, what 
how women are portrayed, I don't know how, you know, I don't know that you can ever please everyone anyway. I don't know that you're going to be able to draw, you know, if you started drawing characters that are not physically gifted, you know, if, if Wonder Woman didn't have a, you know, a, a six foot four frame and, and wasn't built how she was built, you know, one, you know, are people going to see her as the heroic figure? I mean, how else do you portray a heroic figure in a female? Well, it's not necessarily well, an issue it's... of making Wonder Woman look a certain way. You know, it's just, I think, like all things that we've been discussing today, a lot of these issues can be resolved if there was more variety, you know, within the industry. Mm-hmm. If there was more venues for certain things to be done, you know. You know, I don't even think, part of the problem is that, you know, I don't necessarily think that the whole, just the way they're drawn is the biggest point, but, you know, we've talked about this before, that a lot of times, um, women in comics, you know, it, it, the only thing that they do or the only point they have is their sexuality. You know, if they're, if there's a female crime victim, you know, there's usually some kind of sexual crime angle to it. If, you know, like, example, you know, I hate to go back to, I'm not, and I'm not picking on Bendis, I swear to God, but going back to, uh, <laughs> sure. again, going back to Spider-Woman, okay, I mean, what's her big power in the New Avengers? She has pheromones, right, that can make people fall, you know, get all sexed up for her and stuff like that. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. It's it's all about the sex, you know. And is that the way that female characters, you know, is that all they can be? Are there strong non-sexual female characters in the Ma comic Hunkle. universes? <laughs> well, the I think ba- you know to try and defend <laughs> Bendis a little goodness. bit. I mean, look at Alias. Look at you know Jessica Jones. She, you know, I I don't remember her ever really relying on her sexuality to get out of a tough situation. But at the same time. What's wrong with that? I mean, I think as a, you know, women should embrace that. You know what? You do have that ability. You do have that power. And men will do just about anything, you know, for a woman with the hint of sex behind it. So what's wrong with, I mean, why are we so afraid? Why are women so afraid to embrace that ability? And the, you know, well, there's a difference I think between the problem is that, you know, we. We're guys, and so for us, we don't know what the big deal is about it. But I, you know, from listening to Lane and Taylor and some other things, I've you know people talk about this. I, you know, I don't think that most women want to be thought of that way. Is it most women, or is it the most vocal of them? I, you know, I I don't don't know. know. I mean, Lane, Lane is an interesting, and we're hoping to have her on uh, sometime and actually talk more about this subject. You know, but you know. I, I I grew up in a house full of women. I have four sisters. I have a daughter. I have nieces. You know, I, I grew up around mostly women, and I think I have a very healthy respect for women. I I certainly never try and and disrespect any woman, but at the same time, I don't. You know, I think the the ones that make the most noise about this kind of thing aren't necessarily representing the largest group of women out there. I mean, you you see more women that use that use their sexuality to get ahead in life than the ones that don't. And generally, the ones that aren't doing it have something to prove. Uh, not, you know, obviously not to try and say Lena is that way, but, you know, it's it's just like, you know, 90% of women don't say anything about it. But the 10% that do are so, you know, vehement, you know, you know about the situation that that's all you hear. And now we're all sort of pre-programmed to, to think that's how all women are. Well, I, I don't know if I agree with it. 
Okay, okay ladies, between... that you can post on our message board at <laughs> sure, yeah. If there's any women that read, yeah, I'll I'll ask my girlfriend to listen to it and tell me what. Well, I mean, part of my respecting women is respecting their ability to 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 talk honestly about situations and about themselves and about what they do and they don't do. So, I mean, that's sort. Of, it, I mean, that's where I'm coming from. Is like we we, it's almost we have to protect them, but isn't that more harmful? You know, instead of confronting them about situations or. You know, I don't know. I think it it breaks down to just there's a difference in a book between one character who's using sexuality to pander to another character, and then when you read a book and it's meant to be pandering to the audience, just as the same as walking on stage and dropping an f bomb. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's that same sort of. You'll never get rid of it because there's always, there's always, a, there's always, like, there's always going to be someone that laughs at, you know, me saying fuck, you know, someone to laugh at that. Just well, like you're never going to go bankrupt selling pornography, man. Let's just face it. Yeah, well, that's. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Around Comics. It's like talking to your best friend's sister, and she's hot. Do you guys want to? I don't know if you want to bring this up or talk about this or not, but do you, uh, you want to discuss the idea of whether or not there should be a, a rating system? In place for comics or how they're working. I mean, there technically there are two different rating systems in play in the mainstream books right now. Well, that's so definitely. Yeah, I think we should, we should touch on a little bit. Um, well, just you know, briefly because we do need to move on. But you know, let yeah, is there a rate? I mean, there are rating systems in place. Marvel rates themselves. Uh, DC. As we were talking earlier, you know, they submit to the Comic Code Authority, and they're the only comic book publisher that does any longer. And whichever ones are approved, they put the label on the book. If they're not approved, they print the books anyway, just without the Comic Code Authority uh, label on it. Um, and Marvel, they changed their rating system since 2001 when they decided not to um, submit their books to the Comic Code Authority anymore. Um, They've had their own system, but they've changed it like three times in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, their system is basically going at, um, they have four ratings. So they have either all ages, uh, teen, parental advisory, which I don't know how those two are different, and max, which is the explicit stuff. Um I mean, does anyone know those ratings? Does anyone care that those ratings... Does anyone even know where they're located on the books? I always look for the dirtiest. Um, I, I, you <laughs> I know, I, I'm only aware of it because um, I just happen to kind of follow it, you know, what books are... you know. I mean, like, the Max titles is pretty much extinct almost at this point. They, they, You know, Marvel announced earlier, you know, the Supreme Power and that stuff is going away from the Max title to their regular line because they want it to be available to more people. Uh, the Max, you know, Max line is going to be, you know, along with... Um, uh, oh, jeez, I can't think of it. Now, was that the Max Marvel or was that the Marvel Knights? Marvel Knights. I'm sorry, you're right. It was Marvel Knights. But which Punisher is a part of... Marvel, ah, it's so confusing. Punisher is a part of Marvel <laughs> Knights... And so was Supreme Power, but they're both under the max. I think they're under the max. Um, My head hurts. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean exactly. The, I mean, how is how does this matter to anyone? No one can even keep track of this thing. I mean, you know, I, you know, it's like any other rating system. I mean, you see, you know, there's parental advisory on CDs. There's, you know, the movie theaters. I think the movie theater is about the only one that's somewhat taken seriously. I mean, because there's repercussions. 
you know, if a, if a theater owner allows kids into an R-rated movie, they can be arrested. I mean, they can be, you know, charged with a crime. You know, if a, if a store owner sells a kid a, you know, a PG-13 rated comic book, nobody's even going to know it. And even if they did, it, you know, I don't know that there's anything because Marvel rates themselves. That there's no there's no one to hold them to a higher and there's no one to hold them responsible for it. But there, I mean, think about this, though. We always hear, you know, every year or so, there's some big story about a comic shop in the South getting busted because they sold Spawn to some, you know, undercover 12-year-old or something. Well, but, generally um, it's not Spawn, though. Generally, well, it's I, usually like adult, you know, pornographic adult manga stuff that's getting sold, um, you know, to some kid. And... It, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's obviously a you know one situation where it's a you know it is adult content, it is X-rated content, you know, stuff that shouldn't well, be in the hands of kids. You think any re? I mean, do any retailers? Uh, I mean, do you think they do they pay attention to this stuff? Does it matter to them? Do they sort them differently or? Well, know, I know from the that- shops that I've been into. I mean, you know, they do pay attention to it to some degree. I mean, adult stuff. If it's adult, I mean, if it's really adult, like I said, if it, not necessarily if it's a if it's a Marvel book, it's going up on the shelves generally. If it's a DC book, it's going up on the shelves with everything else, regardless of what you know what's in it. I don't think most retailers pay attention to it or, or, or have the time to go through all and figure it out. If it's yeah. you know something that is, I know there you know well. Here's an interesting thing. Um, there was a book. Uh, came out earlier last year um, called Zombie King I think by Frank okay. Cho. Oh, yeah, yeah. I and that. I mean it was it was an adult book I got it and and it was you know perverse and disgusting and there's no way a kid should have had it well the publisher didn't put any type of label on the cover and I know I was talking to one shop owner and he's like yeah you know I, I had it on the shelves with everything else until I happened to read an article online about it that was talking about, you know, there's there's all these real, you know, terrible things in it that kids shouldn't get their hands on, and then I pulled it off the shelf and put it in my adult section. Well, so should I think comics should comics have uh, warning labels on them because I know that Frank Miller was a big uh, anti warning label guy a few years ago, talking about how, you know. You know, well, prose books don't have warning labels, and um, you know, if you put a warning label, that makes it a target that people can easily more, you know, find the bad books. And it's funny and, that, and that we shouldn't do that. Well, what do you don't think? Don't you think there should be a warning label on All Star Batman? Well, for my not my problem with this, I, mean, I talked about. I've talked about this before. <laughs> warning: This book may be bad. This book may be pointless. This book may contain, you know, lethal percentages of crap. No, um, <laughs> pornographic levels of garbage. But no, I'm my, still enjoying that book, by the way. I know. I'm my problem, like the reason, what got me thinking about this is the fact that in the last year, um, DC has published two titles. Jack Cross and Vigilante under the normal DC bullet with absolutely no warning, no mature reader comments. No, Jack Cross nothing. was a Vertigo. No, 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 no. It, it was DC bullet. I am. It is. Wow, that's surprising. And that's what I'm saying. That is nuts. Isn't that nuts? 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought that that would have... I would have thought that was a vertical, but even though if it's a vertical line, I mean, that tells the retailers, but it doesn't tell a parent anything. I mean, I, I, got into, you know, I get into arguments all the time about, like, video games and stuff like that, and I think, you know, I think all that stuff should have some sort of rating system. As a parent, I would like to know that it's on there so that when I want to find out what my kid's, you know, what game he's playing, what music he's listening to, what comic books he might be reading, I at least have a fighting chance. You know what? Your kids get bombarded by so much stuff and are, you know, in front of the TV or a video game or a comic book way much, you know, more than they are their parents. Just give us a fighting chance. And I know everybody, oh, well, you know, if you're a good parent, you, you know... You, you know what your kids are doing. Yeah, well, that's usually somebody that's not a parent. And, you know, until you are, you don't know what you're talking about. It's it's ridiculous to try and think that you can, if you have a 12-year-old kid, you know what they're reading or what they're playing or what they're doing every minute of every single day. It's impossible. There's no chance you can do it. So for me, I, I would, I, you know, I have no problem with a rating system. I mean, I don't... I, you know, people say censorship or whatever. You're not trying to censor anyone. I mean, hey, put out the dirtiest book in the world. But every swear word, every you know, sexual situation, you know, gratuitous nudity, anything you want, just let me know what's on the. You know, it's in there before my ten year old kid picks it up. I mean, you don't give the retailers the ability to to filter it out. You don't give the parents the ability to filter it out. It just seems ridiculous to try and sit there and say, oh well, it's censorship. We don't, you know. I don't, I don't know. That's what really got me with that DC thing because both of those series, um, and Vigilante too. I mean, there's like decapitations and people getting killed and stuff. I mean, there's nothing. There's absolutely no comments, and it's part of the you know same DC logo that's on Superman, Batman, and everything else. And I I don't know if that's a road that we should be going down. I don't. Know, maybe people will disagree with that, but I don't know. What do you think, Tom? Uh, I have no opinion whatsoever, either way. I guess I would more if I had kids, I guess, but I literally never look at that stuff at all. So, like, it never, I've never right. thought about well, it. Well, as adults, right? I mean, you don't have to, really. Yeah, I mean, I just, like, oh, whatever, pick up that, pick up that. So, I mean, I, I could come up with an opinion, but it would be very meaningless. <laughs> so. Well... There's nothing you. different than anything else you say, Tom. <laughs> I know. Exactly. <laughs> I'll spare you. I'll spare you. Well, is, are we about done with this topic? Yeah, I think so. Down? I think we, we've beat it, you know, beat it pretty good. Uh, you know, it, it is certainly an extremely complicated topic in in any medium, whether it's games or movies or TV or comic books or, or whatever. And I don't know if you're ever going to get an answer, uh, you know, a real definitive answer about it. Um, but... You know, as long as people are still discussing it, there's there's things that can be changed, and I think uh, I think you know publishers try to to some degree control it and and do their best job at it, but uh, you know I think it it can always be improved. So, with that being said, let's move on to the news and uh, and hear what uh, headlines we had this week. Wire, 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 wire. Marvel Comics has been on a sighting rampage so far this week at the New York City Comic Con. In two days, they have already announced that John Romita Jr. will be signed to a new five-year deal and went on to reveal that his next project will be The Eternals with writer Neil Gaiman. Marvel also announced Tamar Prince, author of over 20 novels, has signed an exclusive with Marvel, 
Best known for her action-packed adventures for young females, Pierce will be working on the upcoming White Tiger series. Additionally, Marvel announced the exclusive signing of artist Simon Bianchi. An established artist in Italy, Bianchi's most recent work can be seen in Green Lantern and Batman. Variety has reported that Warner Brothers Pictures is already planning the next installments in the Batman and Superman film franchises, and although neither director has actually signed on for the sequel, Warner Brothers is counting on having Christopher Nolan direct the sequel to Batman Begins, and Brian Singer helm the follow-up to Superman Returns. Warner Brothers does have contract options for Christian Bale and Brandon Ruth, the stars of the two superhero epics. Viz Media LLC has confirmed the further expansion of its Shoho Beat imprint with the launch of the Shoho Beat Home Video, which will release anime DVDs targeted at female fans in North America. The first release under the new Home Video imprint will be Full Moon Volume 1, I Want to Sing, which has a suggested retail price of $24.98 and a street date of June 27th. Dynamite Entertainment announced that they have extended their agreement with MGM Entertainment for the comic series Army of Darkness. The exclusive licensing agreement will allow the publisher to continue the ongoing Army of Darkness comic book series, trade paperback collections, as well as specials and one-shots for years to come. According to the New York Times, Marvel's upcoming series Civil War will also serve as the launch point for Civil War Frontline, a ten-part bi-weekly miniseries to be published in conjunction with the main miniseries. Paul Jenkins will write Frontline, which will launch in June. Civil War Frontline will explore the ramifications of the events in the main series, and more, said Jenkins. I have absolute carte blanche to take on the political landscape as it exists in America and all around the world. Rosario Dawson, David Atchison, and Tony Shastine announced that their new comic book miniseries, The Occult Crimes Task Force, will now be published through Image Comics starting this July. We are very excited about our new home, Image Comics, and the guys at 12Gage are helping us make the book the best it can possibly be. The interest Speakeasy Comics showed in publishing the OCT was greatly appreciated. However, due to recent changes in their direction, we didn't feel our book fit with them at this time, said Shastine. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Ving Rhames will co-star in the CW's untitled Aquaman drama, a contemporary reinterpretation of the DC Comics character. Rames will play McCaffrey, mentor to Arthur Curry, a.k.a. Aquaman. The next issue of All-Star Batman and Robin, written by Frank Miller and illustrated by Jim Lee and Scott Williams, will feature an incredible six-page foldout of the Batcave. This amazing illustration will give readers a view of the Batman's underground lair in unprecedented detail. As always, the madness started with Frank Miller's script, says Lee. Always looking for new and exciting ways to frame sequences, Frank called for a six-page spread of the Batcave. The trick for me was to top the previous shot of the Batcave I had done in Hush. A robber wearing a Spider-Man mask was caught on surveillance video Tuesday stealing a set of rare comics from a store in Culver City, California. Among the issues stolen were Fantastic Four No. 1, X-Men No. 1, and the comic in which Spidey first appeared, Amazing Fantasy No. 15, valued at around $2,500 an issue. The man walked into the shop at around 11.30 a.m., but store employees thought nothing of a customer dressed in partial costume. He's wearing a Spider-Man mask. He must like superheroes, said Alan Gardner of Dream World Comic Books. As part of their expanding line of comics content, Go Comics announced Go Comics Books, a service that allows subscribers to read comic books on their mobile phones in the original multi-panel format with a unique downloadable comics reader application. Launching early April, Go Comics Books will include three new titles. Cosmic Superhero Comic Godland, The Geek and Gamer Strip PvP, and The Hip and Weird Too Much Coffee Man. 
Bundled into one monthly subscription package, all stories are published in an anthology format with new pages for each title added every day. For more information, visit www.gocomics.com. Comic Crafts president Richard Starkings will launch a new monthly pulp science fiction series at Image Comics, Elephant Men. Ever since I took on the publishing gig at Image, I've been trying to persuade Rich Starkings into coming on over and bringing his books with him, says Image head honcho Eric Larson. The guys here in the studio are just crazy about Hit Flask and all the other books Richard Woods published on his own. We've begged, we've pleaded, and finally after all this time he's caved in and will be publishing Elephant Man, a monthly ongoing book set firmly in the world of Hit Flask. DC Comics announced A Brave New World, an 80-page one-shot that will wrap up Infinite Crisis. A Brave New World will have a $1 cover price and feature multiple creator involvement, as well as introduce six new titles. The All-New Adam, an ongoing title by Gail Simone and Trevor Scott. Creeper, a six-issue mini by Steve Niles and Justiano. Martian Manhunter, eight issues by A.J. Lieberman and Al Barrio Nuevo. OMAC, eight issues by Bruce Jones and Renato Guedes. The Trials of Shazam, 12 issues by Judd Wittick and Howard Porter. And Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, eight issues by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. Marvel Editor-in-Chief Joe Quesada told fans to expect not one, but two new X-related projects coming from outgoing Uncanny X-Men writer Chris Claremont. The first is a new limited series based on the winner of the Marvel.com poll asking fans what project they'd like to see Claremont write next. Then called Next and described as following the adventures of today's generation of X-Men in the Marvel Universe, aged in real time, the five-issue limited series is now called Gen Next. Claremont's second X-related project comes as somewhat more of a surprise, as Marvel announced he will take over as regular writer on the ongoing series Exiles, joining penciler Paul Pelletier as the regular creative team with July's issue number 84. Those have been your comic book headlines. If you have comments or would like to read more about these news items, please visit www.aroundcomics.com. And that's the news. So, what do you guys think about all that good information? I'm I'm pretty excited about uh, John Romita Jr. and Neil Gaiman doing the uh, the elementals. That that yeah. could be pretty cool. Um, uh, well, first off, before we say anything else, I want to say I, I I appreciate how you jazzed up the news section. Uh, <laughs> no more ABC News music and no more Batman stingers. Yeah, people it's pretty uh, swift. People weren't really uh, digging that. People it's, spoke. You know, my my pop culture retcon kind of <laughs> take on it all. People didn't seem to appreciate, so I figured I'd go with something a little more hip. You know. Uh, <clears throat> now, did you guys have you ever read any of the Eternal stories? Because that's one of those things to me that um, I've just never gotten into those stories before. I read a couple, but just here and there, I never really got into it. But I, I'll definitely take a look at it. You know, I've read some of it. Um, you know, it's it's dated stuff, and you know, it's it's interesting to take a look at from a history perspective. But um, yeah, I don't know that I'd sit down and read a bunch of it. But I, I definitely will check this out. I, I think. What's the premise behind that group? I don't even remember. I, I, gotta, I hate to say that all out, but um, <laughs> I from what I remember, they're like. Um, Unless I'm thinking of, I may be getting it confused with the new gods, but I think it was they were, the Eternals were like a godlike 
race of super-powered beings. Um, it was something like that. Yeah, it was it was a Jack Kirby thing, wasn't it originally? I mean, that was his. Oh, I have no idea. I think I think so. I think that was his one of his. And like I said, I maybe could get even that confused with the New Gods, but sounds a lot like the New Gods. Yeah, well, it could be. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe I haven't read any Eternals. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But it's going to be Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. So how bad could it's it be? It's a Mr. Miracle in that, isn't there? That's a joke. <laughs> Batman and Superman sequels, pretty ballsy. Uh, you know. DC's or Warner Brothers are, are putting out. You know, they're gonna they're gonna do the Superman sequel before the first ones even come out, uh, which is interesting. I guess they're they're pretty confident that that's gonna succeed uh, enough for them to make another another movie. I, I guess they can't really go too wrong. It is Superman. No, wrong. I think it'll be a pretty big hit. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that it wouldn't be. I mean, it would. Yeah, I mean, they've had such success bad. with that yeah. team up. I can't believe that they're gonna try to go somewhere else. Um, you know, I, I think we learned our lesson from the rotating bat movies from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm excited to hear. You know, I, they have to have Christopher Nolan if they're going to do the Batman sequel. I mean, he did such a great job with that with Batman Begins that uh, it would be a shame to see somebody else come in there and screw it up. I mean, that's why I'm so worried about the. You know, I really liked the second X Men movie, mm-hmm. and now I'm so freaked out because Brian Singer's not doing it. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's for these films. I mean, it's obviously the ones that are done really well are done by directors who know what they're doing. You know, like these characters are like strong, but if you don't have a director who knows how to get across things, you know, Joel Schumacher. Yeah, <coughs> yeah exactly. It doesn't matter. You can put any character on the screen and they can suck. Yeah, you know, if you well, don't have the people right always director. complain about, you know, how comic book movies are always bad. But I think if you have, you know, if you have that director that is a comic book fan and wants to preserve the material that it comes through, um, if you have a situation where there's a director who, you know, they think they can make it better, um, that's where we usually get into some, you know, kind of cringeworthy moments. So hopefully, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we've, de- we've definitely Dr. seen we've definitely Crane as the beast, but we've definitely seen <laughs> the, the the directors that appreciate the material and respect it, you know, have done a much better job than the ones that just don't care and do whatever they want. But okay, um, Civil War Frontline uh, coming out from Marvel. Um, Paul Jenkins writing it uh, sounds kind of interesting. I, I I really like Paul Jenkins what he's been doing lately. Um, from X Men Mythos to, <clears throat> excuse me, Generation M. I, I've been reading that, and it's been really good. Um, and the Century mini series that he's doing, I, I've really enjoyed. So, the, you know, the only reason I probably check this out is is because of him. Uh, either of you guys interested at all? Yeah, oh man, this is it. just a total copy of DC. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to piss Tom off, so I threw that out there. These but, books, um, and they're all going to be sequential art, and they're all going to come out on a schedule. They're all going to have like word balloons DC and does. panels. Yeah, Dude, there's going to be like characters, DC. and they're going to talk to each other. Well, it's just I think like what, DC. <laughs> what I find interesting about that is, um, you know, I'm not sure what they're trying to do with this comment about how they're free to play with the politics. I mean, I, we've already got one ridiculous... Uh, Batman, Frank Miller, you know, fighting Al Qaeda. So I don't know. Do we need the Avengers fighting? You know, going after Osama or something? I don't. Uh, yeah, what are they planning be... to do with that? I don't know. I, I, you know, I have to say, I'm in, intrigued. I, I after reading the last uh, Amazing Spider-Man, which 
I only picked it up. I, I haven't really been reading that title in a little while, but I picked it up because it was the road to civil war, and I wanted oh, to see yeah, what was Oh yeah, I almost going. picked that up yesterday. I, I actually I really liked it, and oh well, maybe and, I'll get it next. And time it was out. actually made me interested in in this whole civil war storyline. I, I at, before reading that title, I, I didn't have that much interest in it, um, but now all of a sudden after reading that, it it, it does seem a little more interesting, and and uh, and Spider Man and. And Tony well, Stark are definitely. Gonna I haven't have been it. following it too well. But, I mean, I just I picked up that Spider-Man issue as well, and I I haven't read every panel of it so far. But um, I mean, what do you think they're going with that? Is it that certain heroes are going to back the government and other well, ones aren't? I, or, I like, think what, absolutely. What you, I think you're going to see. You know, I think you're going to see it split down the middle, and and certain heroes are going to you know sign on with this anti whatever bill, and and you know. Or the the super human registration bill or whatever the heck they're calling it, and uh, and then you're going to have a bunch of them that don't, and and it's going to you know, cause some huge problems. I think you know I think Tony Stark and and you know he he he's trying to enlist Peter Parker's loyalty with this because I think you know with all his billions of dollars of uh, government you know funding and and contracts that he gets every year i think you know from a realistic standpoint is he gonna you know give all that up to uh to not go along with this you know and he's not even a power he's not even super powered so he's not a mutant he doesn't have any superpowers he gets in a thing of armor um so it's going to be interesting to see which you know which heroes side with which side of it and if they do it well i think it could be it could be pretty pretty good but um if they can get everything together you know if they can yeah, pull it all and make it, yeah, make sense. Yeah, that's going to be the hard part, which it always yeah. is with those maxi yeah. series things. Big events. You know, one of these things I wanted to talk about is I don't know. Do you guys listen to the Word Balloon podcast at all? Yeah, I have. I, I I don't all the time, but I have. Well, they uh, they had a, the lead, the newest episode had an interview with Marv Wolfman on there, and it it kind of brought up the concept of of continuity and how I mean. I'm sort of at the point where I hate to sound like an old fogey, but man, I kind of miss the days when you could just pick up a book and like read that book and not have to worry about all the other 50 books that tied in and and all that kind of stuff to these crossovers. I'm getting a little, I think I'm getting a little tired of that stuff. Yeah, oh, me grandpa. too. I, uh, I honestly, back. <laughs> I honestly don't generally get that involved in the whole. You know, if it's a crossover thing, I usually stay away from it. I mean. I always had a problem like talking about comic books b- with people because I really never paid attention to the history and continuity and what happened. I mean, I read a comic book for what it was. I picked it up, I read it, and I took it at face value. I never really got into, you know, how it, you know, played on 10 years ago or some, you know, I have more recently, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to have to buy 25 books to to pay attention to a story. But I think Marvel and DC are kind of getting the hang of it and going, you know what, we're going to put these crossovers in place, but you can read just, you know, this book. You don't have to buy every single... Because I think they're seeing failure. In I mean, you look at the Spider-Man other thing that they tried to do. I don't think that was a very successful endeavor. I don't think many people wanted to have to buy three Spider-Man titles to pay attention for a, to a book, especially when in six months you're going to be able to pick up the trade anyway if you want to read it. Well, I wonder because you know, right out of the other, they're all all of a sudden the newest issue is bam, right in the middle of Road to Civil War. So I don't know, um, not giving you a lot of breathing room in those books. No, but once again, I well, I mean, I think with 
what they're trying to do. I mean, you saw DC try and do it, and they screwed up a little bit. Um, you know, with the different titles, you know, you could just, you know, I basically just read the Infinite Crisis stuff. Um, I didn't yeah. really read any of the other stuff until they came out in trade, and then I picked them up and read them. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't miss much. I mean, there was some stuff that went on that, you know, but I didn't miss a whole lot. And I think, I think they're trying to do that a little bit more. I know with the the Marvel Annihilation thing that's coming out. I mean, they've specifically said you don't have to read all of these to pay attention to Annihilation. You don't have to read any of the miniseries to pay attention to the main Annihilation book. Um, you know, you don't have to read the Silver Surfer one to understand the Nova one or anything like that. So I think they're they're trying to to you know pay you off if you read them all. You know, give you a little extra if you do happen to you know pick them all up and read them. But if not, you can still follow the story. With that, all right. Well, let's, let's fans, just have though. a good hope. Yeah, comics that's... fans though, that's like lining up. <laughs> It's like taking a junkie and putting like four needles in front of them. So you don't need to take all four of these, you know. Yeah. People will go get them on, then people will still bitch about how they oh, yeah. pick up all. Of them. You know, that's the nature of it. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, Rosario Dawson. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Let's have to wait and see with that. Yeah. Uh, Rosario Dawson's comic, Occult Crimes Task Force, moves over to Image now. I don't know what it's Rosario Dawson's comic, and yet she's not really doing anything other than. She's the basis of the character in the comic. Yeah, that, that's the actress, right? Yeah, she's she's an actress. She's been in a bunch of stuff in the last. Well, five she was years. in Rent and like Josie and the Pussycats and stuff, I think. But yeah, what does she have to do with the book? She's just the basis of the of the main character. Um, it looks like her, and okay. I don't know if it has an accent or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> But it, they're making a big push about bullets. this. I just thought I just thought it was interesting that they moved from you know they initially had announced that book and they were going with Speakeasy and now all of a sudden they've pulled out a Speakeasy and Image Comics is going to publish it. I don't know what the behind the scenes is on that, but it just seemed kind of interesting well, to me. Let's face it, any of these guys, any of these indie books that become kind of popular, you know, Image comes a calling. Yeah, and Image obviously has more money, more marketing, more everything. So. You know, it makes sense, but I feel kind of bad for these, uh, you know, third-tier kind of publishers mm-hmm. that are losing all their quality books. Uh, Ving Rhames is going to be an Aquaman. Um, anyone care about Aquaman? No. The the he's going to go medieval on Arthur's. <laughs> <laughs> Did any of you watch that Smallville episode where he was? Is it the same guy? It's I don't not the know. same guy. It's a different. Uh, if it's it's a different actor. I, I like think. Aquaman, and he's just going to get crapped on. I never liked Aquaman. <laughs> no, I have to say, <laughs> I never cared about. Uh, all right, uh, All Star Batman and Robin six page Batcave fold out. Although they're making this huge deal about it, and yet they've already released high res images that you can look and see it. So it's like, why would I buy it? Uh, weird. Just now, let me that, ask you this you know, question. Like, are those six pages in the spread counting towards the total story pages? Or no, I think it's like a full. Bonus? I think it's a fold out, so it's. I think it's only uh, counting as one page. And no, because I was going to say that. Um, yeah, to me, it's just an excuse for Frank to actually do less work. And, <laughs> you know, talk about <laughs> ultimate page, ultimate plot. splash page, man. Yeah, six <laughs> pages. Go. The only thing, I, the only thing I've seen bigger than that, I know there was a there's a comic out called um, oh, something. Something cowboy, Shang, Shanghai cowboy, Shanghai or something. Shanghai cowboy, 
um, I can't think of the artist. Uh, he he used to do hard boiled. He did hard boiled with Frank Miller years and years ago. Oh, Jeff Darrow is that who it was? Yeah, I think that's him. And he did like a twelve page scene. It was nine or twelve pages in the desert. Uh, and it was just it was it was interesting to see, but it was like this ridiculous thing you'd see, you know in the in the book when you bought it. It was like you know I mean it was beautiful. It was it was pretty amazing to see it, but it's like you know what's the point? I don't know. Wasn't like the last issue of Promethea some kind of big fold-out poster or something like that? Yeah, but that was actually used in context of that whole story. I mean, if you read that book, it's... I mean, sort of the whole idea of it is that comic books are mythology and, you know, it's it's Alan Moore really, you know, going out there and trying to make comic books maybe more important than they really are, but... Oops, did I say that out loud? Um, <laughs> Next. <laughs> okay. Spider-Man Menace. Spider-Guy dresses up uh, like Spider-Man and walks into a comic book shop and busts open a case, glass case, steals a bunch of comics. I uh, I just think it's funny that, you know, we can walk, you know, a guy comes into a store in a, in a Spider-Man mask and nobody bats an eye. I mean, they just... <laughs> this reminds me well, of a story when I was a kid. We had... Uh, Spider-Man brand cheese singles in my refrigerator, and I would I I I'm from Wisconsin, so I cheese. And one day, I um my mother was downstairs in the basement, and I had a Spider-Man mask that I used to have, and I put it on, and I came down the stairs like, oh mom, I don't feel so good, you know, with the mask on. I'm like, look what happened to me, and I jumped off the stairs onto her, and totally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this reminds me of that. But, uh, that explains so much. That, it does. It does. <laughs> well, uh, I just think it's bad. I feel bad for the retailers because, you know, these guys are living on uh, razor-thin margins as it is. And, uh, you know, I, maybe, maybe they're getting it for the insurance. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's some kind of elaborate scheme. But, no, I feel bad for the guys. I hope they got their stuff back. Well, yeah, I'm sure they'll be insured for it, but, you know, it just kind of does suck that somebody... I mean, obviously the guys are... You know, I don't think you do that unless you're a comic book fan. You know, I don't know Maybe that... he's just a thief with a strong sense of irony. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to rob you, but I'm going to do it in the, the most ironic way possible. <laughs> I guess he could have wore, like, a Dr. Octopus mask instead, but... I guess J. Jonah Jameson was right all along. Uh, DC Comics, 80-page wrap-up. Uh, they're going to do, you know, like, book bookend it. Like they did the 80-page $1 uh, countdown to Infinite Crisis, and this is going to be the the other side of that coin. They're going to do an 80-page $1 wrap-up to the Infinite Crisis. But then it's going to spin off into six new titles. Um, yeah. That's a lot of stuff to come out of that. And then, I mean, you know, this I'm is... Sto- i got to say this. I'm stoked for the Uncle Sam and Freedom Fighters book because I was so, you know, that was part of my death in comics pissed off rant that I had the other day about uh, that whole team being just wasted as a plot device. So I don't know what they're going to do with them, but I'm glad to see them back. Uh, I, it's cool that they, I think they've made some really interesting choices. I, you know, like the Creeper, doing stuff with that. I'm not going to pick up all of them, but I have to say I'll definitely take a look, you know, at all of them. Just mm-hmm. to see what's going on with them, especially the Freedom Fighters, and I love Captain Marvel. So yeah, I'm really interested Trials to see Shazam that Trials of Shazam with uh, Judd Winnick. Because did you yeah. read the um, 
uh, Days of Vengeance series. Yes. I mean, I thought he did a great job. Uh, uh, yeah. Of that, with that I think character. it'll be fun. Is that... I agree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Chris Claremont, not out of work for very long. We had talked about that on a, on a previous episode uh, where he was getting outed, booted out of Uncanny X-Men for Ed Brubaker. And, but now he's going to have a, a mini series called uh, Gen X. Oh, that's and, like the equivalent of a band playing the county fair, <laughs> um, writing a book. And I hate to say this about someone that I used to love so much because, you know, I grew up in the Claremont Byrne X Men era, and I, the guy could do no wrong for me back in those days. But I mean, in two thousand and six, is I mean, is is anyone still a fan of Chris Claremont? Any of you guys? I. I mean, really. I haven't read... You know, I tried picking up... When he came back on Uncanny, I, I picked up the first few issues. Um, I just couldn't couldn't do it. I, I, it just wasn't very good. Um, I don't know if I've changed or he hasn't or what it is, but yeah, I just... Um, I had no interest in it. I have no stake in Exiles so either, different. but... Um, and I don't know, I've heard a bunch of people on the forum that were Exiles fans, you know, like going, oh, great, here we go. So, I don't know. Good luck, Chris. Yeah, I'd really like to see the guy, I mean, like I said, I don't know, it's hard to, to, to judge myself. Is it is it that he's right in the same kind of way that he's always has, and I just don't appreciate it anymore? Or is he not writing as well as he used to? I, to me, it seems like he's not writing as well as he used to, but I don't know, maybe it's a combination of both. All right, well, that's uh, that's the news. So now we can move on to our top of the stack. Top, top of the, top stack. Of the stack. Stack, stack, stack. I just love playing that. <laughs> All right, um, my top of the stack this week is a book called Hatter M: The Looking Glass Wars uh, by Pen, uh, Ben Templesmith. Uh, it did the art Frank Bedore and Liz Cavalier. Uh, the story. I guess it's it's sort of leading into a book. I guess that is coming out called The Looking Glass Wars, an actual prose book. I'm not really sure, but I really enjoyed um, this first issue. It's by Desperado Publishing, uh, distributed through Image Comics. Um, basically, it is the premise of the book is that uh, Lewis Carroll lied, and the entire Alice in Wonderland was you know made up based on true story of uh, Madigan Hatter, who is the royal bodyguard of Wonderland. And the princess of Wonderland, Alice, uh, in, 19, uh, in 1859, she, instead of falling through the, you know, falling down the rabbit hole, she went through a magical portal and ended up in Paris, France. Uh, in our real world, and this comic is supposed to be the the true factional telling of that story. And I got to say, it was a lot of fun to read. Um, ben Templesmith's work, I have become more and more of a fan of uh, over the years. The art is, is is so much different than most anything else that's going out there. Uh, I think he, you know, he used a lot of inks and and washes on colored paper, um, but it gives it such a, a creepy and sort of moody atmosphere uh the story was fun to read it it you know really didn't have anything to do with alice in wonderland other than 
the characters, uh, but it did uh, sort of put you in 1859 France and the characters that are around there. There's there's mention of of some historic characters that uh, Madigan comes in contact with or in contact with their works, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, if they keep printing this, I think it can turn into a really interesting um, series of issues it, because they, they have a really kind of cool premise to go along with uh, with the story of of it, you know, magic coming into the real world from Wonderland. And these characters are much more um, gritty than what you'd read in, in Alice in Wonderland. And so they, it really leads to a lot of uh, funny kind of interesting different situations so if you haven't picked it up it, it's been talked about a bunch I think uh, online and, and different places it, it really was uh, an excellent book and I'm looking forward to the second issue so Hatter M The Looking Glass Wars uh, how about you Tom what do you got I have uh, Planetary Brigade from Boom Studios by Keith Giffen and Jim DeMatteis um, picked it up this week because uh, I'm a huge sucker for anything they do. I, I used to love their Justice League run, mm-hmm. and this book pretty much duplicates that, but with a whole new set of characters. Um, I shouldn't say duplicate; that kind of makes it sound sort of cheap and sort of cheapens it. But uh, it is, you know, about a group of superheroes in the world, and they all have little quirks, and it sort of, sort of is working along that same level of humor. But you know, it's it's nothing world shattering or anything like that. But it was just a really enjoyable book to read. That was a really good example of how you can introduce, you know, seven, you know, six or seven characters in a book and give you a really good sense of what those characters are like, uh, really quickly. And the pacing is really good, uh, especially now in the days where it seems like it takes forever for anything to happen in the storyline. It's a really nice, quick-paced book. Um, the only thing that was maybe a little distracting was they had four different artists work on it, and it's not that any of the art is bad, but you definitely turn the page and then say, "Whoa, different art!" You know? Did they do that? So that can purpose? be a little off-putting. Uh, I gotta think they had to. You know, I like. I I should really look it up, but I can't imagine that they would have. You know these four different artists, you know, for no reason, you know, whatsoever. It just seemed, it would just seem really weird to me that they would do it. Because it seems to be evenly split up and, like, very delineated. Like, certain people seem to be doing certain characters. So I, I kind of have a hard time imagining it just divided up that way. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you'll notice it in the store because the front cover is pretty much, you know, a direct takeoff on the, uh, you know, Justice League cover with all the characters looking up at the, you know, the quote-unquote camera. But, you know, just a fun book, and uh, I just, you know, love everything those guys do, so if you like it too, you'd love this as well. Alright, Matt. And that's it. Uh, okay, well, um, I get a little bit of a different pick this week. Um, you know, I I run a anime and manga club in my high school, and I'm by no means an expert on those things, but I, um, you know, I, I usually am the one that people ask for for different recommendations on, you know, w- what they should get into. Um, you know, manga is this huge thing in the United States right now. All the kids are reading the books, and, and you know, a lot of adults 
want to get into it, but they don't know where to start. And people complain about all the, you know, the big eyes and all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, and the truth of the matter is that most of the manga that we get here is aimed, you know, it's 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 aimed at preteens. So, you know, a lot of times it's not going to appeal to an adult. But I'm going to throw out there. Um, an actual comic or a, a manga book that has just come out um, theoretically on the 21st of February so um, let me talk about that then for anybody that's been looking for a book to kind of get into that's not like big googly eyes not kids with spiky hair and superpowers and stuff like that um, uh, the book I'm looking at is called Monster and it's by a, a guy by the name of Naoki Urasawa who is a huge huge uh, manga artist and writer in Japan, and, and he does, all of his books are more aimed at adults, um, and so there's, you know, realistic situations, realistic people, uh, kind of creepy, creepy edge to the book. Um, now, his, per personally, I think his best work is something that's called 20th Century Boys, but uh, it's not going to be released in the United States until Monster runs its 18-volume course, so... Uh, let me start with that one, though. Monster. So here's the story. We have uh, a Dr. Tenma, Japanese guy living in Germany, uh, working at a hospital. Um, he's engaged to the hospital director's daughter. He's on the fast track for success at the hospital. He's a brilliant brain surgeon. And um, one day he gets kind of a wake-up call where uh, a poor woman confronts him in the hallway and says, you know, you guys operated on this famous star last night, even though my husband was here first, and he died, and, you know, you you don't care, and, and all these different things. And so he starts to think about that, and later on in the book, we have a situation that comes up where uh, a young boy comes in that's been shot in the head in a, in a homicide attempt, and while he's getting ready to operate, uh, the news comes in that the, the mayor of the city also has a brain problem that needs to be operated on, and, and he's ordered to go work on the mayor. Well, he makes what he thinks is the, the right choice, operates on the kid, saves the kid, the mayor unfortunately dies, and basically his career is, is lost, uh, you know, his fiance leaves him, and, and all these things happen. Uh, to him, but the the one thing he holds on to is that he did the right thing. He did the right thing. He saved this kid, and um, the story really starts uh, with the fact that he then later learns that this kid is basically the uh, sort of like the equivalent of uh, you know uh, what if you know you had a chance to save a Hitler type kid uh, when he was an adult, and so he this kid that he saved actually turns out to be a horrible um, kind of serial killer monster and he takes personal responsibility for that and then decides that he's got to try to track him down and uh, and make up for his mistake so it's it's creepy it's got uh, police investigations uh, you know A1 adult material so I hope I didn't give away too much of the story but uh, no where can I you know, pick it great up man stuff. that sounds that sounds fascinating. That's a great idea for. Uh... It should be at any. I mean, it should be at any bookstore because they they have pretty good coverage in like Borders and Barnes and Noble. Um, I looked on Amazon today, and it's listed as shipping in twenty four hours. So it it should be in stock. So is uh, that a, is that like a trade? That's not a single. I mean, that's not a single. No, it's um. Trade if you're familiar with the the way that these manga trades are, it's it's nine ninety five. It's uh, two hundred and twenty five pages. 
and it, it's you know black and white that normal manga sized volume like a digest it's like a um, digest size yeah okay pretty much and and there's there's 18 volumes in the series so this is the first one and and they usually uh viz is pretty good at putting these out probably you know uh, maybe once every two months or so so it should come out in pretty good rapidity if it sells well enough I'll have to check that out. That's, I, I've been looking for for some you know manga to read that, I, but I just there's so much out there, and I have no real idea where to start. But that sounds like something I'd, I'd really enjoy. So yeah, this guy. I mean, I I love this guy's stuff, and um, you know, he, one of the few people, like I said, that actually has kind of adult audience. It's not aimed at at preteens. So check it out. All right, guys. Well, I think that's another episode uh, in the can for Around Comics. Um, thank you both for uh, for putting up with me this week while Chris was on vacation. I hope I didn't uh, I didn't step over you guys too much today or talk over anyone. Um, eh, who needs him? <laughs> oh, no. He'll be back. Chris will be back next week, hopefully, <laughs> if he makes it back from wherever. I think he went to I don't know where. I think he went to Disney World. No, I don't know. But um, but thanks for listening and uh, make sure to check us out at AroundComics.com. If you have any comments on the show, uh, we have a forum there that you can certainly post on and, and yell at me and all the female readers out there. Please send <laughs> send me all your hate mail and everything else. But that's it for us this week, and uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>